This is episode two of the fifth season of Burgundy Blogcast. My name is Brent. We're in week two of the NFL season, and a few hours ago, the Redskins lost by 10, 31-21, to the hated Dallas Cowboys at the, at the friendly home confines of FedEx Field in Landover, Maryland. And I just cannot believe the Redskins wasted that staggering home field advantage. Much like last week, the final score suggested a closer game than it actually was, as the Redskins got their asses kicked again. The offense is playing a little bit better than expected, but otherwise, let's face it, the whole thing, collectively, is just a flaming disaster, and I'm already wondering why the hell I came back. First of all, there is, in my opinion, no single player or coach or even executive or strategy or philosophy or injury There is no single one of these things that is derailing, in the process of derailing this season again. The Redskins are just simply not a good football team from top all the way down to bottom. This is an unsophisticated operation that uh, never really had a chance. And so the fact that they are already on the brink of doom really should come as no surprise. And, And to me, it doesn't. Although I will say that even though I knew this train was going to wreck, I did not think it was going to happen on the first curve. And let's be clear, it's not just that they've lost the first two games. I mean, when, when the schedule came out, we all kind of chalked both of these up as losses. So I'm not confused or bewildered that they're sitting here 0-2. But by the third quarter of both of these first two games, the Redskins look totally outmatched, overmatched, uh, specifically on defense. Particularly in the second half of these games, there's just this feeling of dread, of inevitability that the other team is going to score. The Cowboys' final five drives of consequence, or, or their, last, their last five possessions in which they were actually trying to do something with the ball, went TD, 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 field goal, TD. And I recall that the Eagles had a very similar run in the second half last week. These are results produced by a completely unprofessional defense. Forget about the ridiculously premature accolades being heaped on this Redskins defense before even a single regular season down had been played. They're far from good. They wish they could be average. They're horrendous right now. So yeah, even though, even though they've only lost these two games by a combined total of, like, I guess 14 points or so, I feel that they really got smoked in both. So yeah, even though this offense is surprisingly scoring like kind of an average team, I'd say the start to the season is actually worse than expected and pretty close to a worst case scenario. Why on earth would anybody think it's too early in the season to fire Greg Minuski? For the entire second half of the 2018 season, the Redskins' defense was way worse than allowable, than permissible. They clearly, in a very public way, tried to fire and replace him, which made sense, but they couldn't do it because nobody good would want to come here. There's a ton of smoke surrounding uh, Dan Snyder's alleged pursuit of both Todd Bowles and Greg Williams for that job. Or possibly even, by the way, for Jay's job. So, Mineski's been bad for, you know, the majority of his tenure here. Uh, The team actively tried to replace him last year. And in the first two games of this season, the Redskins have given up like 900-some yards of offense. Oh, and over 30 points a game, both times. Consider that while acknowledging that when you drop to 0-3 in the NFL, you basically have no chance of making the playoffs. It's between 2.5 and 3% chance over the last 40 years of making the playoffs after you've lost three games. So, this is absolutely panic mode. I mean, Jay specifically said after the after this game in his presser that he he thinks it's not time to hit the panic button but if you are ever going to panic now is the time one more loss next week on monday night football at home against the bears we all know what that sounds like a loss one more of those and the season is basically already over so how could you look at the last 
two or the last eight or ten even games that the Redskins have played and think that there's a chance that they're going to get it together under Greg Minuski. They're just not, and it's actually irrational to keep him. It's not irrational or impulsive or thinking like a, uh, a millennial to um, suggest that they need to get rid of Greg Minuski tonight. They actually do. I guess maybe Jay feels loyal to him for some reason, or maybe Dan Snyder is too cheap to buy him out. But otherwise, I really don't see why you wouldn't think about giving Tom Sula or Ray Horton or, gosh, even Rob Ryan a friggin' chance. Because even those, even though those all sound like terrible options, Minuski's a known quantity at this point, and he is horrible. They can't get any pressure on the quarterback, and they stubbornly refuse to blitz. Yet, even when they only rush four, there are multiple wide-open, free-range running receivers on every single pass play. Listen, I know that there is not a potential alternative that's a slam-dunk upgrade, but the current setup absolutely guarantees failure, and it's hard to see how any change could make them much worse. I recognize that the Redskins are already dealing with a more serious injury situation than almost anybody else in the league. I get it. I know that's part of what's going on. Part. Not the entire excuse, but part. But I have a few thoughts on that. Number one, this is the third year in a row. It's not just bad luck. It's not. It just isn't. It's not just bad luck anymore. It's the third year in a row. This isn't a coincidence. This is a pattern. And no, I don't know exactly why. I don't, I don't know the inherent root cause for this recurring problem. But there is one, or two. It's not just luck anymore. Maybe they're somehow just not practicing enough realistic game situations or individual movements. Maybe their training staff or their dietitians really are substandard. Maybe their shoes don't fit right. Maybe Marty Schottenheimer or Jim Zorn <clears throat> is slowly poisoning the water or the air ducts at Redskins Park. I really don't know, and I'm not trying to sound smart, but something's up. Something's wrong. Way too many injuries nonstop, and they got to figure it out. Here's what I think is the most likely primary contributor to this problem. It's rostering guys who have injury histories because something about their bodies makes them more likely to get injuries. Think about the key injuries right now. Jordan Reed, concussion. Anybody surprised? No. Darius Geis, knee injury. Anybody surprised? No. Dunbar, leg injury. Are you shocked? Shouldn't be. Fabian Moreau was hurt before they even cut down to 53. Colt McCoy's been hurt his whole life. Caleb Brantley was hurt half the summer. I guess Nicholson's supposed to be banged up. Yep, he's been hurt most of his career. Morgan Moses limping around. When has that ever not been the case? Paul Richardson, shockingly healthy, scored a touchdown today. How long is that going to last? He's built like Abe Lincoln. All of his major joints have already been repaired. Brandon Sheriff's coming off a big injury. Landon Collins is coming off a big injury. I know some of these might seem like stretches or reaches, and there's definitely not good hard data to quantify how much injury history every individual team takes on in constructing its roster. But I have felt for a couple of years now that this team habitually assumes too much injury risk by drafting, signing, and keeping players who have been injured and missed significant time. Obviously, football is a very violent sport and injuries are part of it, but my observation is that in general, guys who get hurt and miss games tend to get hurt and miss more games. So that's at least one reason why I'm not just writing off all of these rampant injury woes as simply bad fortune. Landon Collins was made the richest safety in the history of the sport, uh, I think, primarily so he could do two things. Number one, be a sure tackler, and number two, be a tone setter. He has, I suppose, actually been the first of those two things for the most part, but he's not been the second. The tone of this defense is horrendous. He has not improved the tone 
attitude, swagger, or obviously effectiveness of this defense at all. He also hasn't made any big plays, maybe like one tackle for a loss or something like that. So far, obviously, extremely early, uh, same asterisk as everything else, but so far, that uh, acquisition is not paying off. Montez Sweat is a first-round pick, in fact, a guy that they traded next year's second-round pick to move up and get, but he has not only failed to upgrade the outside linebacker spot opposite Ryan Kerrigan, he has so far been worse than Preston Smith and, in fact, done basically nothing. Is he a little banged up? Perhaps, I guess, maybe. Is he a little slow to adjust to the speed of the NFL game? I guess that's possible. But so far, not great. These two individuals, I think, were the biggest reasons to hope that the Redskins' defense might be substantially better this year and help them get off the field on third down. That's definitely not happening so far. So until one or both of them starts having an actual impact, I would not expect things to change drastically. And yes, of course, it's entirely possible that the defensive coaching staff is just failing to utilize their talents effectively. I guess the idea of me being uh, balanced uh, in my commentary on this team is out the window, but I still intend to aim for some measure of objectivity. Therefore, I'm obligated to mention, at least in passing, a few things that don't completely suck. Uh, I like the offensive play calling in these two games. It's creative. It's interesting. It's a little more unpredictable. I think uh, this is probably mostly because of Kevin O'Connell's increasing influence on the offense. He's, of course, uh, recently the uh, named the offensive coordinator. I don't think we as fans are entirely clear on who's calling which plays these days, but I think there's good reason to believe that O'Connell is calling some of them and having some say as to which ones are installed and included in, the, in each game plan. I think I'm seeing a little more pre-snap motions. Of course, they give uh, the new fast guy, Steven Sims, some unconventional touches today. I thought in the first quarter that we were going to see uh, Chris Thompson being featured heavily throughout the game. That kind of died off, and I'm not sure why, but I enjoyed that, at least for a little bit. He obviously needs to get right back on the radar. I like that they've given Sprinkle a few targets already and, and used him as more than just a blocker. I respect that they're not afraid to feature McLaurin, who is obviously their best receiver. And I think they've found a way to make Trey Quinn about as effective as Crowder was in the slot, even though I'm not sure Quinn is quite as talented. Now, I can't go too crazy in my praise of the play calling and of Gruden and O'Connell in this area, as long as the running game is next to non-existent, in spite of the fact that the running running back group coming into the year was thought to be one of the best and deepest on the team. So there's clearly some room for improvement there. But I think the reason that uh, so far... Uh, journeyman Case Keenum has thrown for over 600 yards and five touchdowns in two games just because they're doing a pretty good job scheming up that offense. Keenum, by the way, I think has been uh, fine. Not as good as his stats suggest. He's certainly padded them with pretty long touchdown drives in basically garbage time of both games. It's certainly good for him that he has not turned the ball over yet, but let's face it, he's had like at least two, possibly three passes between the two games that definitely should have been intercepted. And like today... He probably should have hit McLaurin for a big gain uh, at the beginning of the game. And most of you have probably by now already seen the play uh, on Twitter where he had Richardson open deep over the middle by like 15 yards in all directions on a third down and he just didn't see him. So Keenum's been decent, but not special and definitely not so great that Haskins needs to be buried on the bench for much longer. McLaurin really looks terrific. He seems like he can do everything. He's super fast, also very tough, seems to have good hands, great routes. We've been hearing about the intangibles and the leadership for months. You didn't meet, need me to tell you that he looks like a keeper. But yeah, for a third rounder, that, that looks like a tremendous draft pick. Cole Holcomb, of course, also is an exciting rookie. 
he came out of nowhere to, uh, well, look about as good in his first two pro games as anybody the Redskins have had in the middle there for years. And, of course, Tressway is still awesome, but it's embarrassing to brag about your punter. You guys remember uh, Trent Williams, uh, the best player on the team, who is sitting out because he hates the team? Somebody tell me why you think he might be coming back anytime soon. Okay, yes, of course, every game he misses is a bunch of money. And money often is the best reason, or most important reason to most of these players to not outright skip games. But first of all, if he had in his mind some plan to come back before week 10, which is like the drop dead, uh, well, deadline, for him to come back and not miss accruing a season towards free agency. If he was going to come back prior to the last possible minute, and if he's losing like three quarters of a million dollars or something for every game he sits out, why would he skip two games or like four games and then come back? Why? To like make a little bit more, a little bit stronger of a point in his defiant stance against whatever it is he's defying? That's dumb. That doesn't make any sense to me. Assuming he's healthy, if he was going to willingly come back before week 10, he would have come back before week 1, or like maybe missed one game, so that his displeasure was officially on record. I do not see why he would like skip two games, or six games. Plus, now we can see that it's going to be a miserable, painful season in that locker room. There's weirdness with his buddy Adrian. I just cannot imagine he's going to be changing his mind in September. So if Trent Williams is barely going to play for the Redskins this year, and they're basically going to be wasting one year of control, then they sure as heck better still be listening to any trade offers out there if they exist. And by the way, the Patriots lost their starting left tackle to injury today. I explained last week why I feel that alienating Trent Williams was a high-ranking failure for Bruce Allen. But at this point, if the bridge is burned, don't waste him for spite and stubbornness. Go get something so that your new coach and hopefully new president can have a leg up in the future. So in week three, the Bears are coming to town for a Monday night football matchup. I don't think I need to tell you how Monday night home games for the Redskins typically go. And if this game goes that kind of way, uh, the rest of this season is going to be a bloodbath. The Bears have not looked great this year, but they are still mostly the same team that looked really good last year. And their coach, Matt Nagy, is a very sharp offensive guy. And I think he's going to tear Minuski apart if Minuski is still here, even though Trubisky is not very good. That stadium is going to be 60% full of Bears fans or more, and that makes sense to me because I literally would not attend that game if you paid me $200. Sorry, my time and happiness are worth more than that. If you're going to that game, I respect you, but I don't understand you. <laughs> 